Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right, before we get started, I'm giving you an assignment. So I'm curious to know what your, your uh, kind of vibrant practice question is right now. What is it that you're wondering about your practice or curious about or keep bumping up against? So think about that for a moment. If you could distill it down into a, a few sentences without having to even disclose the content really. What's your practice inquiry, your practice question now? So I'm gonna ask that in a moment. If you, if you don't want, you can just pass and come around to you. <clears throat> uh, my name's Todd Bankler. I'm one of the um, entrusted teachers here and we have a pig sighting. So pig's back in her, back to her old haunts here in Austin. She's joined us for about a week. So it's so nice to have Peg back here. Um, I don't know, it's kind of especially uh, touching for me to see you in this house that you, you know, originally bought just to live in like a normal person. <laughs> and then somehow got off track <laughs> and turned into this uh, Zen practice center that's uh, still thriving even though you moved away. So it's nice to have you back here. So today I want to uh, bring to you a little Dharma talk. So this portion of the program is uh, a, little, a little mental food, a little food for thought, a little chance to discuss uh, what you're noticing and what you're curious about, what comes up in this um, practice in the way that we take it on here. I always like to just first say the reason, the only reason I, I do these talks is to hopefully provide a little bit of encouragement to keep going because it can be a long and winding road and we can often confuse ourselves about what we're doing and what we think we're doing and it can be difficult to continue. So this is just a bit of encouragement for you to continue the practice, which is you know, what we do for two hours before we get to the portion of the talk. And then we talk for just 15 or 20 minutes. So I always call that out to people. The majority of what we're doing here is not about our ideas and talking about it. It's really about sitting and practicing. But the talking is good. It really helps find some clarity for the practice. So with that, what is your alive practice question right now? What are you, what are you turning over? What are you curious about? Let's just go around the room and, and state your name so we get to know each other's names as well. And then briefly, if you want to share, what is your practice question right now? So I'm going to start with Joel because I see you right there in front of me. The, the universe is alive, constantly unfolding, constantly changing. And I just have not yet move past the thought that I'm somehow separate 
that and that that I I'm, I'm like the guy that's trying to polish a tile into a mirror. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's what I'm doing. Thank you. I said take the last camel. <laughs> Not fair. Yeah, the first <laughs> the first uh, question that came to mind that does it ever end? <laughs> now I'm Ken. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm Timothy. Um, I'm new here. I, so I'm wondering how to progress in my practice. Thank you. Susan, and I think probably my practice question now is how to be kind to those closest to me in my loved circle. Yeah. Move back. <coughs> yes. Um, I'll pass. Okay. Passing is acceptable, everyone. Uh, I'm Brian, and I think my, my practice question right now is how do I shift more frequently from the self-centered viewpoint to a more generous uh, offering of myself with uh, myself not quite at the center? I'm Larry, and I'll pass. Uh, Marilyn. Um, and I'm curious about how to use what I'm learning. Uh, Sean, um, I'm new to Zen, but I have a meditation practice, so I'll share what I'm currently bumping up against there. So uh, recently, <clears throat> uh, surrender, I guess, has is, is been coming to mind, and just kind of how that's a paradox, where if you become aware that to, I guess, see reality more accurately it requires surrender of self but then it, the minute you become aware of it then it becomes another you know thing for you to try to do <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of trying to square that and so in the end you'd be there thank you i'm Pauline. um it's my first day here so i'm really new uh and i'm thinking about I'm a scientist and I'm thinking about how much do I turn on the scientist and turn off the scientist as I'm learning about this practice. Darcy. Uh, yeah, I'm Darcy and my big practice question is that I have great pain and great joy. And how to hold both all the time. Uh, I'm Neil. Um, I don't know if this is a question that necessarily has an answer per se, but something I've been thinking about is also the sort of paradoxical nature of trying not to have like a attachment to outcome but at the same time like sort of wanting that outcome but like <laughs> trying to like trick the mind into like not thinking about that yeah. and getting the result at the same time <laughs> that sort of paradox and how that like, seems to apply to a lot of different things in a sort of like zen and meditation sort of realm just that Joan and uh, having heard everyone else, I go, yeah, I'll doubt that one. Uh, but uh, what I'm working on is living practice in my life. 
I'm Lori, and um, I'm practicing with two things. Uh, one is acceptance, particularly acceptance of self, and other, no, acceptance in general, and also letting go. Well, I practice question is really how to best serve this wonderful Sangha in my new location. So I moved to Illinois to be closer to my granddaughter and my sister and family. Um, and at the same time, I'm, of course, very, very deeply bonded with everyone in the Sangha. So my question is, how do I serve the Sangha from a distance, right? Um, so I'm happy to be back here and uh, and plan to come back here at regular intervals, so I can bask in your presence, which is my great delight. And I would say to you, don't lose your scientist. Don't lose any part of it. Keep the inquiring scientific mind, and uh, yeah, none of it needs to go away. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Let's not forget about everyone online. So I'll just call out names and um, ask you to speak up. So we'll start with you, Claudine. Okay. Um, my, my practice is how to stay open with people when my security becomes less if you understand what I mean. Thank you. Thank you. Ellen? Hold on, you're still muted, Ellen. There you go. Um, yeah, what is way-seeking mind? <laughs> Thank you. Nellie? Um, no question. Thank you. Thank you. I have a child reading it. Maria? Maria Sullivan? Marla. Marla. Thank you. I couldn't, Hello, read, that. couldn't read that far. <laughs> um, as I deepen my practice, I'm studying the precepts. And a practice question I have is um, the, the precept about in, avoiding intoxicants. How do I ensure that my practice itself doesn't become an intoxicant? Good one. <laughs> Rosemary. Hi, um, I'm working with uh, my attachment to accomplishments and shifting into seeing them as offerings. Thank you. Kathy. I'm uh, attempting to be with people with opposing um, I ideas and to be patient and to offer what I can in a peaceful way. Elizabeth. Um, hello. Uh, my practice um, for October is um, uh, stopping the war within, 
which sounds a little intense, but for me, just kind of holding it lightly as kind of like a light inquiry, um, that idea of reaching out and kind of bothering things over here and, and sort of kind of interrupt, interrupting that process. So um, yeah, that's my inquiry. Thank you. Thank you. Milan? Hello, uh, my question has to do with uh, continuity. Continuity. With continuity, thank you. And I think that just leaves you, our lovely monitor, Nancy. Thank you for helping out. For me right now, my mind just um, think about my cat. And my my question is, how can I know if like he really want to come here and stay with me or he enjoy their life in the temple? <laughs> Thank you. She got this cat when he was only two weeks old. And then when she moved, she left him at the Buddhist temple where they're taking care of him. Yeah. And, you know, she's trying to decide whether to bring him to where she is. Thank you so much, everyone, for sharing. It's, um, I think, so helpful for others to hear you know, what you're, what's coming up in your practice, what you're becoming aware of, you know, what you're turning over in your mind and maybe struggling with, because I think they're so universal, you know, people pointed around and said, oh yeah, that one, that one. We're all in this together, and it turns out we're mostly heading in the same direction. <laughs> and so it's good to have buddies uh, as we stumble and bumble along. And it's good uh, for me and those of us who have to sit in this chair to hear from you guys about how it's going, you know, what you're noticing. I really don't have much, um, you know, will to come up here and hear myself talk, <laughs> decide what to talk about. And, you know, I would much rather talk to you guys and find out what's going on. But today I thought I would talk a little bit about softening the idea of self. So Suzuki Roshi, he used that, that uh, term quite a bit. And for those who don't know, Suzuki Roshi was uh, one of the uh, Japanese citizens who came over to the US in the 60s or 50s or 60s, started the San Francisco Zen Center, and that's part of the lineage that we're in. So he would talk about the idea of self. What what small mind, and in Zen we tend to use the term small mind and big mind, small mind being the brain in your head and the conditioned ways that it was brought up, belief systems and ideas that it has, and big mind being the, the one that holds that, the universal activity that isn't limited by your small mind. So just some definitions as we go. So the idea of self, <clears throat> have you ever, try and think back at the last time you spoke out loud to someone else and you used the word I in the sentence. <laughs> That'll give you an indication. It comes up all the time. Like, um, you know, 
Well, I'm a runner, so on the weekend, I wasn't raised that way. Any of these, these little I sentences give you little windows into this idea of self. Our egoic ideas of who we think we are, who we think we should be, what we should be doing. Um, it's a wonderful framework for managing our way through our ordinary life. But it also turns out it can be a little bit limiting. Our idea of self can cause us to kind of wander and bumble about a bit, to stay on a particular track because we think that's what we're supposed to do. Um, it limits our freedom. It limits the um, improvisational virtuosities, the term that's been used, our ability to just respond to what is. Often we may find ourselves responding to what we think is happening, what we know we're sure is how I know what he's doing. Right? I know what you're doing. Right? I'm going to respond to that. Yeah, I too. Yeah, I'm sure. Right? Um, instead of being open and available to what's actually happening. So Suzuki Roshi would talk about our idea of self and how it could limit our composure in the present moment. Um, often when we, we talk in Zen, it sounds very paradoxical because we're trying to use the kind of limited form and language that we have in our everyday way of looking at the world to try and break that same way of looking at the world up a bit to kind of soften it, release it, and find a new way. Suzuki Roshi would also say that, you know, one of the most important teachings is not two, not one. He say our body and minds are not two and not one. If you think your body and your mind are two things, that's wrong. If you think your body and mind is one thing, that's also wrong. And this applies to um, yourself and other, not just body and mind, yourself and other, you as a separate self versus the Sangha that we're practicing in. The relative and the absolute, kind of the noumenal and the phenomenal, not two and not one. So how is it that we can be wrong about both of those, right? <laughs> so it seems paradoxical. How is it not two and not one? It's because it's trying to leap clear of the way of compartmentalizing uh, things into categories, right? It's, it's anti-categorical. It's like, no, not two, not one, stop, <laughs> just stop. And it's a similar thing to our idea of self. We have these ideas, I'm a scientist. I have a way of looking at the world. It's a very helpful framework 
Um, but it's so useful to be able to set these things down on occasion. Um, Peg often used to like to say that, that Zen was a perspectival, <laughs> meaning a or against anti perspective. In other words, it could take any perspective. Our practice is to hold our particular idea of self lightly, to understand it to be provisional, like a, a Mercator projection of a map of Canada. It gets pretty, it, it'll help you find the way, right? But it kind of skews off everything. That landmass looks huge, right? Well, that's because you've got a flat piece of paper representing the world. It's the same kind of thing with our ideas of self. They're very useful, but they're often a skewed percep uh, perception based on our own cultural conditioning, family of origin, background, everything that we bring to it. So practice asks you, can you soften this idea of self? Can you see it when it comes up? Can you question it and bring forward a beginner's mind, the mind of a child that's curious, that wonders about it? Oh, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if I really am a runner and should be doing this. Or is that just something I do? It's a very useful practice to be able to on purpose, try and take these other perspectives when you notice you have one. Oh, I really have a strong opinion that life should be X. She should be Y. I invite you the next time you catch yourself doing one of those things. <clears throat> think for a moment what an opposite perspective might be. Think for a moment if a third person, a stranger witnessing this, what do you, I think their perspective might be? And then see if you can inhabit that perspective. Start by thinking it, see if you can feel it, see if you can find it in your body. The ability to hold your perspective lightly, not abandon it, but to be able to not be drug along blindly like it is a very liberating practice. Suzuki Roshi used to say, another thing he used to say is, um, if you're fooled by others, it's not so bad. But if you fool yourself, <laughs> it can be fatal. <laughs> So we have to watch for all the little ways that we fool ourselves, all the little ways that we're um, attached and stuck on our idea of self, where we need to soften a bit, where we need to let the world in and all of its myriad possibilities and myriad forms that often really aren't the way I was wanting it to be. and work on our acceptance. Because I got news for you. By the time you noticed it, it already is. 
At that point, your only choice is to accept it as step one. That doesn't mean you don't do anything for step two, but step one has always got to be accepting it. So I'm really curious about solving this idea of self, finding some freedom in the life that you have that holds your opinions of it lightly but doesn't go to the other guardrail that I don't know anything and have to ignore what I want. How do we soften this idea of self? What do we get out of it? I'm curious to hear your comments or reflections on it. And for the record, I don't think I answered a single question, so <laughs> success. Yeah. Yes, John. Well, when I came to this practice, I had a cement concept of self. <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't understand there not being, that, that, not, that is not true. And uh, it's only happened through listening to other ways of seeing the world and especially my scientific background has helped me to uh, Joanna Macy's uh, looking at the world as a, a system that I am part of something bigger. I am, I'm a live, you know, it's, it's not I'm part, I am something bigger, just a little part of, you know, it's, it's the part is separating and it's just been a, a, a long process and it required work, a lot of work. I was just thinking that um, it's hard to predict what your future self is gonna need. So um, I think that's why you have to stay curious because you never know how, you know, what you're doing now is going to, if you're going to look back and thank your old self for doing this or regret <laughs> something you did, but just thinking about how we evolve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's best not to maintain a fixed view. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Yes. I'm thinking since we're mentioning science of the three states of matter, you know, solid, liquid, and gas, and then what I've come to, you know, start to recognize is this fourth state that's not a material state, and putting himself into that category, that it's something ethereal and limitless, and all it helps me, I think, soften the idea. Nothing you can point at or hold or I was uh, recently reading Stephen Bachelor's book. Oh, sorry, is there somebody? I think I maybe mean, you need to speak up. Oh, I was re recently reading Stephen Bachelor's book, but it was up about beliefs and uh, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but I think at one point he advises people to look at the idea of self as more of like a amalgam or conglomeration of processes that are all sort of 
working together and in our minds and in our language, we call that self, but really it's nothing so concrete or fixed as what we're usually uh, culturally and just naturally led to believe, which I thought was a, a helpful way of looking at it. What popped into my head was SOS, the self operating system. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say something. Oh, sorry, somebody on. No, no. Okay. Um, so I've recently resigned a, a tenured position as a professor. And so I'm in the process of so shedding that identity, which has been a strong one, mm -hmm. right? And so there's both a little bit of um, uh, sadness around that and even confusion. But what I've really focused on instead is like, deliberation like oh okay what next mm -hmm. like anything really mm -hmm. and so just keeping open that sense of possibility which is also has to do with de-identifying and letting go of that you know, almost a cemented type of uh, uh, um, persona so it's a process too for sure just the letting go yeah Yes, Joel. Um, thank you. Uh, I'm just thinking about how I would never know about shedding identity, about all the ways that I'm hooked into my identity, except that they pop up when I'm trying to sit still and, and be present in the moment. Yeah. And that that's the, that's, on the one hand, that revelation, or those millions of revelations, moment by moment, Help me a lot, and they also help me see that there's a space around them that is not caught up with with me trying to construct that or reconstruct those things that I think I'm losing. You know, those those things I get angry about or or, or um, mourn over about myself, um, and that the, this this uh, just glimpse of freedom around uh, the edges of the things I'm bumping up against uh, is, is, uh, is a wonderful gift that uh, I have only been able to experience with, the, with teachers, great teachers, and with the, the generous support of all so many people. Those online are welcome to speak up as well. You can just wave or raise your hand. I think Sangha is kind of a wonderful uh, kind of arena for that kind of play of um, little experiments in mindfulness, releasing some aspect of ourself or uh, practicing uh, from a different perspective because it's kind of a safe environment. This is what we're all doing together. And we have a shared understanding that oh, we're all trying to wake up together. And we're all trying to help each other and support each other in waking up. So there's an opportunity there um, to play with the sort of fixed notions of self we might have um, in do little experiments, mindfulness, and see what happens. 
Darcy. Yeah, so that kind of ties into what I was going to say, and then I'm thinking about these parts of self. It's not just realizing, then it's I'm thinking about Lori saying accepting and letting. It's the like you can see them, but it's the what's in between there and letting go, and it and I um, if I reach out and connect or someone reaches out and connect, and a lot of these exercises have been doing this to me. That provides the, maybe it's the, the grease or the lubricant that does a lot of it softening. Mm -hmm. Yes, Marie. Hi, um, thank you, Todd. Um, so um, I was listening to the um, person. I think it's is it Susan who was talking about resigning her position. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Susan. Can't exactly see you, but see part of you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, and I too am um, not completely resigning. I'm retiring mostly uh, from my private psychotherapy practice at the end of the year, and. Um, struggling quite a bit but trying to um feel what you were talking about is the liberation of more time to explore um and um this practice actually is what got me to thinking about this in the first place that i could tolerate that much spaciousness in my life and I'm learning that I can, but this is this will be an, a new step. And um, as uh, Susan was talking, I was thinking about okay, so um, I will be um, released from these responsibilities and into a spacious um, field, and um, to not feel afraid of um i guess falling maybe you know like i'm thinking of i'm i'm jumping off the cliff i'm just out there and well <laughs> fall you know it's gonna happen and um and then i thought of the net of intra and i thought okay this song is kind of like a net and uh yeah so that's Kind of my thoughts about um, whatever we're talking about. I'm not sure. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to add on to that as both Joel, you've talked, and Rosemary, that there's also that has connected with the excitement I feel about shedding an identity. You never know what it's like to shed a strong identity unless you shed it or step away from it. And that's exciting, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa. Mm -hmm. So there's that aspect too. Yeah, oftentimes one of the fundamental teachings that we learn in a practice like this is um, finding our composure in uncertainty. Um, and we try and give that in little doses and not scare you with the fact that everything's uncertain all the time. <laughs> Maybe you realize that later. <laughs> Maybe you realize that truth later. But the composure in uncertainty is a great fruit of the practice. 
in a saying I love that comes from somewhere in pop culture. This is not a Zen thing, Rosemary, but I, you maybe think of it was when you feel yourself falling, dive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Nelly. Yeah, what uh, Rosemary and Susan just said, uh, I had a phase in my life in which I was also feeling the same, that everything was falling apart. And uh, it was really uh, good for my practice because I realized that I was not falling anywhere and that everything was just there all the time in front of me. and. And I think what helps me a lot about um, being aware that self doesn't really exist is uh, how impermanent we are. Like everything is impermanent and we're always interconnected with everything and our thoughts are evolving all the time because of uh, all the stimulations of what is in front of us all the time. And uh, I can really feel how I'm changing all the time actually. And that's our identity. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think Nellie brings up a good point that there are those of us who say, you know, I, I still feel like I'm 30 or whatever, you know, that we are tied into this picture of ourselves. And by letting go of that and seeing that we are changing in every moment. And that's letting go of this this concrete idea of self. Mm -hmm. Rosemary, did you raise your hand again, or is it still up? Okay, she raised her hand. All right, go ahead. Uh, okay. Um. Yes. So. Um, I was thinking about this, um, how we really are changing all the time. And I was thinking about a flower, right? A flower is, you know, before it opens, it's, but it, we, and even when it's, when it's open, it's, it's still, things are really happening there, but we don't see it. And I think that's, you know, what happens with us. I mean, I'm talking about myself now. So I'm sure that a lot of change you know it's happening all the time but for me in the last two and a half years with this practice it's really moved a lot but i i don't really see you know i don't really see it and i think that could be really helpful to me at this time mm -hmm. thanks um <clears throat> one thing that's coming up for me that's come up in my practice recently is you know, in terms of softening sense of self, I feel like at least how it feels to me is like, like, I don't want to say like the D word on my first time here, but like, it's like death, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like it is when, when we struggle to let go of aspects of ourselves, it's like, we're afraid of letting a part of us die. Um, but for me, what helps me navigate that is just the belief that no matter what, something's going to be reborn afterwards. It's just the nature of reality. Even if I, were to literally die, some part of my consciousness, some part of my being is going to be given back to the universe and be reborn as something. And then I think that's where the excitement that was kind of talked about is before is that rebirth process. Once you cross that 
threshold beyond that fear into whatever that rebirth takes is when you find the excitement in it. But as you're approaching it, it definitely feels like, <laughs> I don't know where <laughs> the hell I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. It's right. <laughs> All right. Well, if there's nothing else, it's 1045. So I thank you so much for your wholehearted participation. Uh, we really helped to open each other up. So thank you for that. <laughs>